You're listening to a podcast of This Positive Life, thebody.com's growing collection of first-person stories from people living with HIV. Michelle, let's start at the very beginning. When did you discover you had HIV? I got diagnosed in uh, 1991. Actually, my daughter was nine months old as a newborn baby, and I was living in a domestic violence situation, and this one night, I always tend to say, in fact, it was one of the worst, but it was one of the best beating that I got from the partner that I had because he beat some sense into me. I left. You know, I was living in Brooklyn, and I just got on the trains and decided to, you know, I'm going to get help somehow. And I started riding the trains, switched the trains, and ended up, this must have been around like 9.30 on a number two train in Brooklyn. And I saw this ad on the train, and the ad says, if you, as a woman, are dealing with any kind of substance use issues, domestic violence issues, and you need help, you can call this number. And I got off the train. Were you with your kid? Yeah, I had my daughter wrapped. We were just riding the trains all night because, you know, again, as I said, I, I left. I left just hoping that I was going to get help, and help did come. I had one bottle of milk for her, literally. And her wrapped in a blanket, she had two diapers. So when I got off the train, that was the fresh stranger diaper that I did with her. She hadn't eaten for that morning because she drank the milk that night. And I called the number and somebody really did answer the phone. And I was standing at the corner of Nevin Street and Flatbush Avenue in Brooklyn. And the person who answered on the end of the phone for that ad they were literally six blocks away from where I was standing. That's how faith and hope is. I told her what was going on. I went down to the facility because when I told her where I was standing, she was just in amazement. So she told me, you know, come down to the center. And that center, in fact, at that time, they were called Community Family Planning Council. And they had a grant in at the time to help women who were underserved, if you were undocumented immigrant women, if you were women needing help. And when I walked in there, and after an hour of talking to her, she was the head nurse, and I told her the situation that I was living in, one of the things that was offered to me was, uh, would you like to take an HIV test based on the situations that you just explained to us that was going on in your life? And I agreed to take the HIV test, what was offered to me that day, you know, they were going to have me. I saw a doctor because I hadn't seen a doctor since after my daughter was born because I had no health insurance. At that time, I was what we call undocumented immigrant, so I had no health insurance, so I was not seeing the doctor. Where are you from? Um, I'm from Trinidad uh-huh. in the Caribbean. I shared with the nurses, and as I said, I saw the doctor that day, and unbeknownst to me, because of me not having any health insurance, me not being in the healthcare system, I was also to walking around with gonorrhea. So I had to be treated for gonorrhea that day. I just went, delved right into getting health care and health services from this community health center. I can tell you proudly today, I'm a staff of that agency. I've been working there now for the last 17 years as a full-time staff, giving back to my community. So even if you're not documented, you could still get help? Absolutely. You can get help as an undocumented. And there's no undocumented immigrants. We just don't have the documents that America wants us to have to live here. America knows very much about us. They know of our existence. So we are not undocumented immigrants. 
I have to make that declaration. Mm-hmm. How old were you at the time? I was 24, so I had a baby, but I have a son that he's 22, and at the time was three going on four. He, he pretty much really was not living with me at that time because, again, of the situation that was going on. There was drug use going on in my life. I can say that it was a very unhealthy environment. So my parents in the Caribbean, I had willingly given my son to be with them because there was a lot that was going on in my life that I just needed help. And the organization, as I said, one of the first things that they did, I had to be placed in a shelter for battered women because of the situation. I was bruised. I, was, I needed help. And help came to me right away. The population of people that I work with is the same pathway that I came from. I am identifying a lot of individuals who are undocumented immigrants who have been living here in the country, don't have any health insurance. So through various outreach mechanisms that I know of the pathways that I used to be at emergency rooms, people being discharged from the hospitals, I have made now outreach contacts with providers who can pick up the phone and call me and say, Michelle, we have another person, because it's very true today. There are a lot of individuals who are walking around with HIV, have no idea, and it's not until some of them either got very ill, went through their emergency room, and now had to be hospitalized. So when they're getting discharged and they have no health insurance, I'm being called, and the agency, Community Healthcare Network now, who I work for, we have health insurance that can right away get them into health care. We have medical services. We have grant-funded case managers who can help them now navigate the different needs from legal services to housing because some of them are homeless. Some of them are living with family members who have no idea that now this is AIDS because they just got diagnosed as HIV positive, but I can tell you because of the complications they're hospitalized with, they all have AIDS. So I'm working with that population. I go out to shelters. I disclose my status and I talk to people about who I am. It's not about me, but I use my life and the examples. Now I'm in healthcare. I have 20 years of living with HIV under my belt. I'm living. And I have services, and I have a life today, and I am somebody. Because I got to also to work with them, dealing with the stigmas and the discrimination that's out there. A lot of immigrants, we face it <laughs> daily basis. So I get them into care and services. Let's back up to when you were just starting out. What was your first feeling when you found out you were HIV positive? Did you know about HIV? I knew about HIV a whole lot, but I knew about HIV a whole lot because I had most of my gay friends they were dying from this disease. So I, I remember, because there were times that I'm a person, I, I love cooking. There are things that you can do that don't have to be, you know, finances to help someone. So I used to go to my friends in their house and cook for them and clean their house for them. And I remember these guys saying to me, oh, Michelle, you have nothing to worry about. Thank God you don't have to worry about this. They used to tell me, you know, I have AIDS and I'm, they're dying and, you know, some of them died and I was going to these funerals. So I never knew the affiliation between this disease and women. So now here I am diagnosed and they're telling me. And I remember me having a case manager assigned to me. And I can tell you my biggest fears, and that's all I kept thinking was that my kids was going to be taken away from me. I've said this in numerous occasions. It's one of the biggest fears that I was concerned about. I wasn't scared of dying. I really wasn't. My fear was that they were going to come take my kids away from me and deport me because both my children are American citizens. And how do you think you got infected? Oh, I think I knew I got infected of me having unprotected sex. Women are vulnerable, period. 
to this disease. And I still think today the level of vulnerability is because of the misinformation and miseducation that's out there. This whole thing talking about who's at risk, we all at risk. If you're having unprotected sex today as someone living in society, you are at risk of contracting HIV. Coming back to this whole vulnerability, my vulnerability was because of my immigrant status. I was under this impression that this man really did love me and he was going to marry me. And after me and him marrying, I would have gotten a green card. I never got the green card. But yeah, so you put up with a lot. I put up with a lot. I put up with a whole lot. And we are so susceptible and we become submissive, immigrant women, because of we're truthfully believing that this person who I love and I'm dedicating to this person and I'm, and I'm here just being all for this person. I really thought the right thing would have come out of it. But I think that's sometimes a fantasy world that some of us get cast into and not realizing. So he's out there, and that's how I became infected. But we have a child, Raven also, to my daughter, and, and I'm not breaching her <laughs> confidentiality. She now goes around and speaks around the country, talking to young people about them being aware of this disease and how to prevent it within themselves, because she didn't have a chance. I have had groups and discussions with women, and I truly believe men still do not have a safe podium to say to a woman, not just men, but I'm, I'm using my experience today to talk about where I was at back then. After 20 years of having to deal with this and understanding the impact of this disease and the impact of you know just him having to deal with, he was someone who had to go through the penal system. African-American man just had a lot of issues going on in his upbringing. He never disclosed to me that he was HIV positive. So I gotta tell you, Clearly, within my healing, I have learned to forgive him did because he, so he is he a knew? victim of the system. He knew, he, he did admit to me later down the road, a couple of years, we don't speak today because he's very hateful towards me because I publicly have talked about that is the person who I knew I contracted the virus from. When he found out that he was HIV positive, I was already into my fifth and sixth month of me being pregnant and we had separated. Remember, I was living in a shelter. He never told me that he was positive, so if I had an opportunity, even self to be counseled and, and to talk about how systems and how situations put me more in, in, in the risk of, now here I am today living with HIV and I'm raising a child who's HIV positive, which it could have been prevented because during my pregnancy, if I was counseled and offered HIV testing, absolutely I would have done it. I was never tested during my pregnancy. I knew after she was nine months uh, old as a newborn baby, so I did breastfeed her. What are we told during prenatal care? What is the best thing for your babies? We were not getting HIV education today for pregnant women as, you know, what we have today, New York State. Those of us who are positive, our stories is not just a story to tell. We're looking for sympathy. It's an educational piece because our experiences is what has made it better and safer today for people who are negative to know why it's important for you to know your HIV status. We have very, very common grounds with people who are negative. People judge us. <laughs> Some people think that we deserve this. Some people think, oh, they caused that on themselves. No. You sit and you speak to someone who's HIV positive, what you're doing right now, and you listen to our story, people should hear it. If people hear what we're saying, they can see where the common threads are with us and them, and they can learn from our experiences to prevent themselves knowing their status, getting tested today, and having access to care and treatment. It's very unusual for someone who is 
diagnosed in 1991 to have survived this long. It was the dark days. It before was the very the dark, treatment. grim days. In 1996, I came down with AIDS. You know, some people say full-blown AIDS. Look, AIDS is AIDS. If you got AIDS, you got AIDS, <laughs> okay? I had T-cells of 84. My T-cells today is 1,028. I have an undetectable viral load, less than 50. And how did that happen? That just shouldn't happen overnight. Coming from an AIDS diagnosis, I was very fearful. I had PCP pneumonia. I had oral hairy leukoplakia, which is one of the complications related. And here I am today. I'm, I'm pretty healthy, but I have to admit there were complications that I'm still dealing with because of me having a compromised immune system. I just came out of the hospital having a rectal surgery. How many women do we know can talk about these are the complications that I'm living with. I share the things that I go through so that now for those of us who are living with this disease got to pay attention because it's not just about getting our CD4 to a high number and a viral load undetectable. That's the crust of us, yes, helping our immune system be able to fight this virus. But because of our immune system being damaged throughout the course of HIV, there are some complications that we are now diagnosed with, so some of us undiagnosed, because I have another virus that is causing some of the complications that I have now. I've been diagnosed with HPV. I found out I'm HPV positive. And HPV is something that travels in a woman's body. So the doctors diagnose it vaginally, but I'm a person as a child. I was sexually molested by my three god brothers. So I had HPV before I was even diagnosed with HIV. We really don't know how to treat HPV, but I think we can treat the person if we do better screenings and we look better monitoring. You know, I think my doctor probably could have gotten a notion way ahead instead of me having to deal with a rectal abscess. They had to go and cut this abscess, drain this abscess. I'm not conceited, but I'm a gorgeous woman. I'm a beautiful woman. But this virus that's in my body, there are days you don't want to deal with this ugly side. You don't. So don't get carried away that you can just pop a pill today, you can take some medication and it's fine. I remember having to take over 26 pills in one day. What I take today for my regimen is three pills once a day. Mm -hmm. My daughter takes one pill once a day. You know, we've come a long way and I'm grateful, but we cannot take things for granted. How long have you been on HIV treatment? I've been on HIV treatment from the first time I got diagnosed. So um, because got I took the AZT. Oh my God. And, and what AZT did to me, I can tell you today. I mean, I have clients, I have friends who take AZT, but AZT back then is not AZT today. Right. We have learned so much. You know, I was one of the individuals that became severely anemic. I had toxicities where black and blue blotches would just break out on my skin. I mean, the, my body aches, my bones. Literally, we heard because when I was given AZT, it was 1,200 milligrams. And I was doing that four times a day. A lot of us, AZT did harm us because of the toxicity. But today, AZT is not the same dose. It's not 1,200 milligrams. We have learned. Some of us had to die. Some of us had to die for some of us to live. So I know the backs that I'm standing on all suit today. So what do you think the secret to your survival is? The secret to my survival is not a secret. <laughs> The secret to my survival is that I want to live. I have gotten access to care and treatment. I have support for my friends. I have support for my family. Disclosure is not an issue in my life. I have disclosed I'm not ashamed. I'm not embarrassed. And the main, the main piece of resource in my life is my spirituality. God is in charge of my life. And he has me here for a purpose. 
He uses the doctors and the healthcare system and the people around me as interceptors <laughs> to facilitate that. But my belief is I'm here for a purpose and I'm going to continue to serve that purpose until he's ready to bring me home to my final place with him. That's my belief. How is it having a daughter who's HIV positive? Do you worry about her all oh the time? Oh, God. Constantly, but I worry in a healthy way. I don't worry to the point where it keeps us stagnated. I don't worry to the point where I'm unhappy. I mean, I have good days and I have bad days, but my good days are so good. <laughs> it outdo the bad. I get up and I smile, and the first thing I do in the morning, I'm alive. I'm happy. And I make the best of my days. I create my own joys. I don't depend on someone to make me happy. I know what it is that can make me happy. I have control in my life today. I'm no longer being abused. I'm no longer being traumatized. I'm no longer in a domestic violence situation. I have control in my life today where I make decisions. How open is Raven with her friends? Raven is very open. <laughs> Raven is as open as her mom. That's how I raised her. We're not going to be ashamed. We're not going to be embarrassed. I mean, we don't walk around with a sign on our forehead that we're HIV positive. There is teaching, learning moments. And when we see it, those moments may come as discrimination. Those moments may come as somebody being arrogant. Those moments may come as somebody making a statement that is just so ridiculous. Right away, it's, that's how you feel? Well, let me tell you something, you know? We use that as an opportunity to educate. How has it been with her schools? It has been a lot better today with her school. She had horrible experiences as a child growing up because I did disclose to the school and I choose to disclose because I know my rights and I know my daughter's rights. So I did inform the school when she was much younger having to navigate the school system of my daughter being positive because she had to be on medications during the day and you know these are medications that I want them to administer to her the right way so I did let her, the school know and from the teachers to administrators in the school, they discriminated against her. Raven wasn't allowed to go to school trips. There was a teacher to put on gloves and a mask to teach Raven. Why would you do that when, you know, is Raven having sex with you? Is Raven sharing needles with you? You know, is Raven lactating so she's going to breastfeed you? No, none of the above. Today, one of the outcomes is that Raven really had a very difficult time being schooled as a child living with the virus because people were more concerned about the virus instead of the betterment of educating this child. So, you know, she's still right now in the process of getting her high school diploma. And do you think there were other kids who were more closeted about their HIV status? Absolutely. Oh, my gosh. I knew of the kids. I remember one time I, we went up against a principal in a high school that Raven said because we held a press conference to shame him and let other people know. This principal is allowing kids in the school to throw food at Raven, make fun at Raven, and this is the board of it. This is your responsibility. The hours that this child is not with me, you are responsible for my child's well-being. You are responsible. And he literally said to me, well, you caused this. Who told you guys to be so public? I will continue. This is why I'm being this public. That's why we held this press conference. And he said to me, there's no other kid in my school who's positive. I said, you are so wrong. Well, whoever, why don't you tell me who they are? Oh my, I'm not breaching their confidentiality because of your arrogance. No, absolutely not. But there are many other kids in this school system. And these were kids, I can tell you, they had a lot of health complications because they couldn't take their meds during school. They were so scared and they saw things that was going on with Raven. I remember some of these kids, their parents called me. They would either see it on the news or they read in a magazine or they saw the newspaper and they were coming like, oh my God. 
You're so brave. But just please don't don't let them know about our kids because some of them they attended the same doctor with my daughter. I wouldn't do that, but I'm I, I showed them. I'm gonna fight this fight until the board of ed respect our children or until they give them the equal rights. What gives you the strength to be so public where most people just can't do it? I have zero tolerance for stigma and we cannot keep talking about stigma unless we do something about it. But don't you feel like you're being battered? by everybody around you, by the public school system, by New York City authorities. I mean, you were their test. And I am their test, and I will continue to be their test because I know who got my back. My family got my back. My God got my back. My church got my back. You know, my friends got my back. I know who got my back. And I think maybe that's what those of us who are positive need to know and build, build that infrastructure, who got our backs. Because, again, that's why you know, I said it earlier on. I know whose shoulders I stood on. I know of the people who died to help me or to give me that opportunity. The laws that we have today that protects people. As an immigrant now, I can go back to my country and I can tell you the work that I have gotten involved with because I just didn't sit back in my household. You know, I joined coalitions. I joined group with gay white men who taught me so much. I joined group with black gay men, you know, who said, but we are somebody and they're going to respect us no matter what. It's not about our sexuality, you know, it's about who we are as a person. And these are the things that I saw when we come together in numbers, what we can do. I'm ready to go back to Trinidad and help my country because the people in the Caribbean, where we are at today here in the United States, people in the Caribbean uh, back there 20 years ago. Right. And I got to help them. That's my people. But yeah. exciting for me. I'm, I'm ecstatic. I really am. And you know, the pain that I felt and the stigma that I've, I have to deal with and the discrimination I'm going through, it's not in vain. It's not in vain. Mm-mm. There's still other people who is having to deal with what I've dealt with. So when it comes my way today, I'll be like, I got this. I got this. Yeah. You're not going to break me down. I am somebody. I love Michelle today. And I can teach other people that we got to start loving us no matter what. HIV, gay, black, lesbian, Latino, you know, we are somebody. So were you always like this? I've always been a deviant. <laughs> my mom will tell people, my God. And I remember, you know, she just say, you're just so different. I said, you made me. <laughs> you and daddy did this. But they instilled something, you know, they, uh-huh. they, they instilled good values in me. When my parents and they found out, it was not until I got into therapy as someone lived with HIV, because that's, that's a big part of my healing. I got into mental health therapy. I'm not just healthy physically, I'm healthy mentally. When I shared with my parents of the sexual abuse, they had no idea. I was being sexually molested at the age from seven until I was 10 years old. And they knew nothing about this. So when I shared that with them, it helped them to understand some of the behavior they saw that I carried on with. As a teenager, I was acting out because I was crying for help, but I didn't know how to ask for help. A lot of us don't know how to ask for help. Mental health issue is so tabooed and stigmatized, especially amongst people of color. We think because somebody refers us to the mental health provider that, oh, they're crazy. People who are HIV positive are crazy. We are not crazy. We have traumatic things that has gone on in our lives. And HIV is the podium now where we are at. So guess what? Use this podium to get the help. We can finally get some help. You know, there's still a lot of us who is not accessing the healthcare system because we have no health insurance. We have, you know, there's still a lot of gaps. But hold my hand and guess what? I got some places that I can lead you through. You're going to get some help. So that's what I do.
That's what I enjoy doing. That's what helps me go. That's what keeps me going, knowing that I can help another person. There's so much work out there still that needs to be done. This didn't just happen overnight. This person that you're seeing here, this secured person that you're seeing here, this just didn't happen overnight. I had to build trust with certain people. So and I did that. with the health of mental health and other things, you got yes, stronger. I got stronger. Yeah, because I had to clear out. I had to, I had to dump. I'm clean today from drug use. <laughs> I was using to cope. I was using because that's what behavior is. Behavior is what we know. My first drug of choice was alcohol. I was a teenage alcoholic and my parents didn't even know. They had no idea. <laughs> they just knew, why you want to drink? You know, in Trinidad rum. Michelle, why are you drinking rum? Michelle, 13 year olds don't drink alcohol. <laughs> Nobody knew this 13 year old was having to deal with the pain of knowing what her three god brothers and they did to her. I was 15 when I attempted suicide three different times. And the third time I almost died because I was in a coma when I finally came to do. A priest is standing over me and telling me, if you die, you're not going to go to heaven. Nobody's going to bury you. I mean, that's what a priest was saying to me. This My was in God, Trinidad? This was in Trinidad, yes. Oh, yeah. That's the kind of stuff it is I had to deal with. There are still other Michelle Lopez's who are out there who are having to deal with that. So you want to find them? Yeah, them? I do. Uh-huh. Yeah, I do. Yeah. You know, we meet people where they are. Right. I wish I could meet them, and that's why today, you know, I appeal to anyone for us to help our young people. Because we could stop the damage. We could stop the damage adults that we have in society today. Mm-hmm. We could stop it from the young people. It didn't just start from an HIV diagnosis. And I know where it started from. So that's the group. I pay attention to this when I see young people acting out. I do not have a degree behind my name, but I have a degree behind my name. My life experiences. I do. Wow. Well, thank you so much, Michelle, for sharing your story. You're welcome. The opinions expressed by hosts or interviewees in this podcast do not constitute professional advice, should not be considered substitutes for professional services, and do not necessarily represent the opinions of Body Health Resources Corporation or its sponsors. Please see the full disclaimer online at thebody.com. If you have comments or questions, please contact us. Thanks for listening to This Positive Life. For more podcasts and other first-person stories, please visit us online at thebody.com. If you'd like to share your story, please email us at podcast at thebody.com.